HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. The more you know about our meat, the better. That's the bottom line at Whole Foods Market. Our standards require no added hormones and no antibiotics, ever. Our partnerships with farmers and ranchers allow us to offer the highest quality local and organic choices. And our newest program, the Global Animal Partnership's five-step animal welfare rating, sets unprecedented standards in the industry for beef, pork, and chicken. Standards you can see, labeled, when you walk into our stores. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com for more information on the five-step rating. Because, hey, the more you know, the better. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew. Yeah. That cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh, man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Today in the studio, we have one of the most fascinating bartenders I've met to date, Mick Jarrett of Dram Clover Club, doing some spots uh, over at The Drink with uh, Frank Cisnero sometimes as well, as many other bars around the country and the world. Welcome to the show, Nick Jarrett. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Good to have you. Um, so, on that subject, and I know it's something that you've talked about at different bars and different seminars, multi-city bartending. Now, you were you were down at the Franklin in, uh, in Philly, and you were basically going back and forth between New York City and Philly for over... Two years. Yeah. Two years, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of have this, uh, like... This image of you, uh, well, it's a rightly so. It's a it's an image of you being this kind of like gypsy troubadour, like bartender guy, like basically sleeping on the bus or the train, like back and forth, and like not necessarily even having like a home. It's like this kind of like romantic idea I have of you, like basically working like seven shifts a week, if not more, and uh, just catching your sleep on the transport. That's uh, really not far from the money. I mean, it's sort of how it worked for probably a good six, seven months. Uh, how did you... I mean, was this something that you had planned on doing or just something you just ended up doing because it was out of necessity or... How, how did that even happen? You know, it was actually something that I had always planned on doing. I mean, yeah. I moved out here from Seattle mm-hmm. in 2000 to go to school in the suburbs of uh, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I moved out was because you have sort of a tighter network of cities on the, uh, in the Northeast. 
Like, I moved into Philadelphia with the idea that I could go back and forth between two cities pretty easily. And it took a few years to get off the ground uh, in bartending, but I met bike messengers pretty early on in Philadelphia, circa maybe 2002, who had apartments in both cities and just moved back and forth. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, that, it's, it's such a... It's such a crazy idea to, uh, I don't know, to me anyway. It, 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 I always like to kind of keep grounded at one place and uh, sure. just like really make a home there. And for you, to, it, I, I kind of liken it to uh, being like a band on tour. You Hell know? yeah. I mean, it's very similar. And what happened was I was running a bar in Philadelphia called Apothecary. Mm-hmm. Uh, we opened Apothecary, I think, early 2008 and was head bartender down there, beverage manager basically there nonstop, and uh, ended up picking up one shift a week at Tanya Guffey and Francis Neros' bar at the time, which was a counter in the East Village. That was the all-organic That was bar, the right? all-organic, like, mm-hmm. green bar, a uh, little restaurant bar. Cool spot. Ended up uh, meeting those kids at Tails, and then within two weeks, just picking up a day a week at their spot in uh, the East Village. And uh, it was basically an outlet to avoid getting burnt out on the one bar. Yeah. And that sort of picked up into the sort of thing where, you know, I've started doing one day a week up here over the course of two years, began working only one day a week in Philadelphia, and now pretty much bartend at a number of spots. I'm also at Flatiron Lounge right now, right, right. moving around on a couple of projects, and for a couple of years, yeah, I was more or less an itinerant bartender. I slept a lot on Chinatown buses, and I know <laughs> the banquettes at my bars very well. <laughs> uh, now, Apothecary, when you were there in Philly, uh, you were... Working with Tad Carducci? Yeah, right? Tad Carducci and Paul Tangwai, the Tipping right. Brothers, set it up. Mm-hmm. Um, hell of a spot. It was the first real, like, um, sort of up-to-specs modern cocktail bar in the city of Philadelphia. First one to run a cold draft rig. Right. A lot of those critical elements. Uh, interesting concept. It just recently shuttered, actually, and they changed it into another right. concept. But, um, yeah, it was nuts. That was a crazy, crazy bar. I really like that that back wall behind the uh, the bar stools with all Hell the yeah, uh, signatures and graffiti on it. It's really well, cool. the way that happened was uh, the folks who designed that bar were into architecture and design, and they just and thought you the, can tell it's very like, oh, yeah. modern, very sleek. Yeah. Um, but they had that giant cold white brick wall, mm-hmm. and my staff hated it. <laughs> and I and uh, Tad were uh, you know having a little shift meeting one night, and we just said you know what fuck it, like grab sharpies, mark the thing up. Nice. We figured either that would be a very effective sort of a you know, resignation letter, or else uh, they'd just have to get on board with it. But that wall was beautiful. Yeah, we had everyone in Philadelphia contribute something. So that was that was at the very end of the uh, apothecary run. Oh, no, that was that was fairly early. That was. Oh, early. oh, oh I, thought, yeah. I thought you said resignation. Letter. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, sometimes you just got to well, go. Sometimes out. you quit right sometimes, as you start. <laughs> sometimes you got to go out on a limb. Like, yeah. you, you make the place right, and uh, it was a hell of a bar. Definitely ran the town for a solid year. Yeah, I remember being down there with you. Um, I guess it was a, about a year and a half ago on a USBG trip. Right, right. Yeah, totally. We went down to the uh, Philadelphia Distilling Company. It's, it's the Philadelphia Distilling Company. Philadelphia Distilling Co., yeah. yeah. Uh, that makes Blue Coat Gin and Vucare Absinthe. Uh, we went down there, and uh, Tad, actually, Tad Cardici was behind the bar, as well as uh, a number of other hooligans uh, singing <laughs> drinks. Uh, it was a big geeky industry night and uh that's yeah the first we, we tore philly up that yeah, night. yeah we, we 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 crushed it philly, uh, philly kind of tore me up that night actually it's, yeah it, well it's known to do that me too uh <laughs> we'll talk about that later <laughs> <laughs> no lies no lies that could be a whole other show um so also 
that night, uh, <laughs> well, we'll talk a little bit more about that. We went to uh, Tequila's, which tequilas, is Steve's hell of a spot. Dave Soro's spot yeah. uh, with Sierra Azul Tequila. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Beautiful restaurant. Mm-hmm. 25 years old and running, I think, now. And yeah. Like a machine. And then we popped by the Franklin. Yeah. Um, now, that's what I wanted to get to, actually. It was the, the Franklin uh, Mortgage Company. Franklin Mortgage and Investment Company. Right. Uh, that is pretty much, that's like the premier cocktail bar in Philly at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of uh, pretty good new contenders on the scene, um, but the Franklin is running strong. I mean, for my money, and I've been around the country, but I think it's one of the top handful of bars in the country. And you worked there as well. I opened that bar up, um, Alex Day and Joaquin Simo, and uh, Dave Kaplan with Proprietors LLC, Death & Company sort of consulting branch, came down and did the initial concept on that bar for Mike Welsh and the folks at Ruby D who operate the joint. So I started up there with a couple of people when we opened in, I guess it would have been June of 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that <clears throat> rolled out hard. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Alex did a hell of a job designing that bar. Uh, we ran with Cold Draft there, Scotsman, full block ice program. Mm-hmm. Places like a pocket knife. Easiest bar I've ever worked behind. Cool. Like, it's nuts. So you've got... <clears throat> You've got Alex Day, you've got Walkie, Dave Kaplan behind all of this. Uh, so, really, that whole like Death and Co, like New York, East Coast, dark, stirred and bitter, you know that, that vibe going into this kind of underground bar in Philly. Sure, um, bringing it back to something that probably was thriving back in the day, oh, like totally. that style of bar. Um, did you? At the time, did you realize, I guess, that uh, that that company has been like kind of branching out now? You know, Alex Day being out in uh, L.A. working on... Death & Company L.A. Death & Company later, LA. yeah. Did you realize that that bar at the time was going to get the kind of press that it has received? And like it's, it's generally heralded in the press as being one of the top cocktail bars in... Well, the trick with bars that consultancies go in on an open um, is that they sort of stand or fall on the strength of really the people who get hired to work there. Mm -hmm. Like you can come in as a bar consultant and uh, set up a hell of a bar, but you have to have passion in people there. And they're the ones who, when you leave and move on to another project, really drive it. And what happened to the Franklin was between Al Sotak, uh, Colin Shern, all the other folks who started up there, like we just had a rock star team of bartenders. Right. Like, everyone was super passionate, and it started in very much a death and company mold, but the drinks formulation has changed to something really sort of completely different at this point. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very interesting program that those guys are running down there. Very proud to have worked at that bar. So, something that always got me, like, when when I was consulting for bars and then left after, you know, the three or six month contract ran up is... You know, you have this uh, ownership over what you've created, and then when you leave, you, you still worry about it. It's like your kid going off to college, of course, and you don't, you, you can't watch them all the time. Do you have any feelings like that on any of the places, like maybe like the Franklin or like any places that you opened or consulted for? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Do you I worry mean, a little bit? I mean, you, I don't, I don't worry about them so much, just because certainly, at least in the case of the Franklin, like I mean, I, I know that crew down there is incredibly solid. Yeah. Um, like I said, some of the best bartenders I've ever worked with man the stick of that bar. Uh, other spots, you know, like take Apothecary, for example. Like we had a solid core of good people there. Mm-hmm. 
But as time went on, more and more people moved away from it. And, the, the, you know, everyone who was there did their best to hold the program together. But some programs make it and some programs don't. I mean, a year or two is a long time in the bar world. And the problem is that new bars are opening up all the time. So new bars, uh, bartenders tend to be sort of itinerant by nature. Mm -hmm. They move from one spot to another. You have to be good at retaining the talent that you have. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Well, hopefully we'll keep the talent going uh, when we get back from this quick break. Uh, my guest today is Nick Jarrett, and we're going to take a quick minute and be back, and we'll talk more about multiple city bartending, and we'll get back into this bottle of night. Hell yeah. <laughs> service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Sunday at 4.30 p.m., tune in to Burning Down the House. Architecture is the laser focus of Burning Down the House, a weekly discourse on all things built, destroyed, admired, and despised. Each week, Curtis B. Wayne, your host, invites a posse of authors, critics, builders, designers, and other architecture themes to reflect on various topics related to perhaps the most functional of all art forms. Again, that's every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. And we are back. Yeah, I'm with, sorry. <laughs> I always like saying that. And we're back with Nick Jarrett, bartender extraordinaire. Um, we were just talking before the break about... Multiple city bartending. Um, now, nowadays you are. I, I know we were just talking before the show about uh, some of the other cities that you've been to recently. Sure, to sure. do some guest <clears throat> bartending. Now you were just in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yep, which just got is back yesterday. Typically, you know, North Carolina isn't some. It's not like you know, like a mecca of cocktails in most people's mind. And in fact, a lot of uh, yeah, a recent guest of the show, Brad Farron, uh, who is from North Carolina. He, uh, well, Philly and then North Carolina, now sure. New York. Um, and your coworker at Clover Club. Um, we were talking a lot about like the music scene and about how it's really thriving. It's, it's kind of uh, in a way in, that like Nashville is like the recording capital, and Austin is like the live music capital. You've got North Carolina being like the independent music kind of mecca of the United States. Yeah, I was shocked when I was down there. I mean, I had never been to North Carolina before or Raleigh. Mm -hmm. um, what a cool town. Yeah. Just uh, the people down there were awesome. Uh, you know, everyone was passionate, interested. The music scene seemed amazing. And so 
on that note, you were you two went down together. Actually, you were you were guest bartending at a couple of places and not cocktail bars. You were you were oh, at a no. couple of uh, like rock and roll kind of divey bar. Yeah, one rock like, and roll joint. Although they have a little cocktail list, uh, Neptune's yeah. uh, Lounge, which is in the King's sort of music venue. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ashley Christensen was kind enough to let us use out her restaurant pools mm-hmm. to do an event. Uh, basically, what we're doing is we're traveling around to take over bars across the country, actually going on really what is, you could say, more or less a bar tour, um, trying to raise money for a project we're doing, which is going to be building green mobile bars uh, and doing a proof of concept at Burning Man in 2012. But the fun thing about that is in order to raise the capital that we need to build the prototype, we uh, are just going to basically be running around the country, taking over bars and working under different circumstances. Uh, it's it's amazing. You can make a cocktail anywhere. That's true. We were talking about that earlier as well, right before the show. Um, there, it's it's amazing to take. I, I kind of liken it sometimes to certain styles, like like cafe racer motorcycles. In yeah. a way, like just stripping everything down, and it's all utilitarian and it's fast. You sure. know, it's it's. You were talking earlier about, uh, what did you call it, five-bottle badass? Five-bottle badass, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, which is a concept. Brad and I were just down there, and we're running a limited menu, offering some mm-hmm. sort of classically-minded cocktails in the style that we do at Clover Club. Ran with the Martinez, Improved Whiskey right. Cocktail, Clover Club, a few of the standbys. So basically just brought down, had purchased for us four bottles of liquor, a couple bottles of vermouth. And we realized very quickly that just given the tools that we had on hand, we could deviate massively from our menu and basically offer a bartender's choice, classically minded program. You know, I mean, anyone will look good in a top end designer suit, but you can make anything look good if you pull it off right and you know what you're doing. Right. Cocktails <laughs> are the same way. I mean, yeah, you, sure, like a top end motorcycle goes fast, but you can build something out that will also go right. pretty fucking fast. Yeah. And uh, that was cool. I mean, like, you're working in a city, like, a lot of cocktails have sort of been caught up in the mentality that you have to have all these high-end tools. You need cold draft to have a cocktail program. You need Scotsman. You should have block ice. You need crystal mixing glasses. We have these things, and we love these things. But it's not necessarily known to the rest of the world. No, absolutely I mean, not. They, we, we, we get involved deeply, and I, I know, like, we'll talk about this later in the show, too. Sure. Uh, I, I I always tell people when I talk about you that you have this encyclopedic knowledge of uh, cocktails and uh, history of spirits. I uh, sorry if I I, I keep trying to drink it away, but you know it just it just doesn't <laughs> it go. It won't go. Uh, now you have like all these amazing tools and sure. and all the spirits behind you like every day, well every night rather. Um, well, depending on the day, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, and having all these things, it's really great to make these obscure cocktails, uh, sure. you know, like having these like creme de violette and all spice jam, things like that. Um, but what I really like about this idea of yours, like this, uh, of yours and Brad's, you know, taking this, this five bottle badass thing. To, I guess what I'm really trying to say is you were down in Raleigh, North Carolina, making classic cocktails for people that sure. these are these classic cocktails like the the brown derby and Absolutely. the martinez and the improved whiskey cocktail yeah um to us they're kind of like old standbys and they are old standbys in Absolutely. the general i mean they're know. classics most of those cocktails are pushing 100 at this point oh yeah and if, when if you're not talking about 150 that, 
but it's really easy but again for most those people of us don't know that. yeah and it's so easy for those of us in the high end of this business to forget that these are classics that have stood the test of time and they've done it for a reason yeah they are a they're i mean they're forgiving yeah. Like you can do it on shell ice. You can mix them up in a fucking mason jar. Like you can work with these things. People have been making these cocktails. They've like they have been so thoroughly vetted and tested. Yeah. Over the past hundred, hundred and fifty years. And they're delicious. Like when you're taking somebody in a town that doesn't maybe have such a great cocktail like culture and you mm-hmm. want to serve them a drink, like they we geek out and it's cool to geek out, but you gotta remember that everybody starts somewhere. It and it's it's also amazing. Like it's not just the recipes, it's the technique as well. Absolutely. It, that that I can't tell you. Like I was just out in San Francisco last week, and I, I worked at some really great places, uh, Beretta and Della Rosa, doing some guest bartending. But like a lot of people don't realize things that are so fundamentally like ingrained in our in, in our brains, sure. like like stirring a drink. As opposed to shaking it. Oh, absolutely. Like shaking a martini or a Manhattan. I, like, it blows our minds when you actually stir it. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, like, yeah, and that's part of the fun of working in guest shifts because at bars like this, you know, again, you are working on the worst grade of ice. No mm-hmm. demand. I mean, I, I've worked with some ice where I'm like, wow, I've never seen ice this bad yeah. at both of our locations, which shaking wise, you know, you're going to reach an equilibrium. Like after 15 seconds, mm-hmm. more or less, you're going to reach an equilibrium no matter what of kind temperature of ice and dilution. you're yeah. shaking on. So you know what? Do your thing. There's like the first couple of seconds are going to be wildly different depending on the ice. Right. But after 15, it all levels out. Yeah. Stirring was a challenge because when you're stirring on wet, thin shell ice, like it's more like a roll back and forth. And when you're thinking about what kind of ice they were working on, they, they used to work on shaved ice. Mm-hmm. A lot of bartenders would work on shaved ice, which is basically the shell ice of the day. Yeah, cheap bars would save money by just scraping off levels of the ice and then working on that with like a Gilchrist yeah. shaver or something like that. This is what yeah. people were drinking, like, and you can make it work. But it is about the technique, and you do need to be mindful of that. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's an easy thing to show people because it's actually common sense stuff. Mm-hmm. Like most of this stuff, when you show someone the technique and you explain it to them, it just makes sense. Yeah, it's it's yeah. absolute common sense, but it's it, it just takes a lot of time someone showing that to you. Like, sure. One of my favorite, uh, and this also coming from my uh, my trip last week to San Francisco, there's, David Wondrich has a drink, <laughs> and this is going back to okay. like classics being like very forgiving. Sure. Um, there's the hotel room old fashioned. Are you familiar with this one? Um, I, 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 I have an idea. Are. I think so, but go, go ahead. Remind me anyway. Well, okay. Classically, you know, an old-fashioned being, you know, your whiskey, your sugar, your water, and your bitters. Sure. So, uh, he has this uh, amazing treat, and, I, I, and I, I, I've I, told quite a few people about it. Uh, just, Linnell Smothers is actually the one who turned me on to it. But uh, after she did, it was kind of actually one of those common sense moments. Absolutely. Uh, where you basically, you take uh, a... a you know, a 50 ml bottle from the, the mini bar in your hotel room. You go to your like bathroom area where you have like your, your glasses in your like coffee machine with your you sugar packets. You always get the two complimentary glasses yep, and totally. yeah, coffee machine with sugar And they're packets. usually pretty awesome little yeah, rocks totally. glasses if you're in a good place. Um, so uh, you get your 50 ml bottle of whiskey from the mini bar in the, in the hotel room. You get a sugar packet from the coffee uh, accoutrement. Uh, you know, you can get your water from the sink. And if you're a bartender 
yeah. that's worth your shit, you always travel with your own bitters anyway. Always, always have your own. So there you have it. you have your your hotel room old fashioned. Sure, you can do it New Orleans style. Where uh, there's a little bar down there, the Circle Bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might be familiar with it. Oh yeah, great little spot, beautiful building on um, Lee Circle, and uh, that's where I saw the concept of Cajun Crystal introduced. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, in New Orleans, of course, you can take beverages to go anywhere as long as they're in plastic. Totally, yeah. so, that shocked me the first time I was oh, there. Oh, absolutely! Little Dixie cup dispenser, like right by the uh, front door of the building. Well, it's yeah, and it's just amazing because you can walk <laughs> into someone's bar with a drink in your hand, sit down, never pay for anything, work on the drink that you were already drinking from the from the Royal Crown or whatever. <laughs> Such a different like conception, yeah. compared to bars up here. But the bartender at uh, the Circle Bar was shaking uh, cocktails. Using two different sizes of plastic of cups. plastic cups, dude. Ah, that's Cajun great. Crystal. And I mean, I, I saw the guy do it like in a hotel room. You know, do the whole old putting two wine glasses together and moving shit back and forth. Yeah, like, this is how bar tools were invented. Like, yeah, I don't know. know. It's, it, it's like we were already doing this with uh, very rugged sure, pieces the strainer, of equipment. The strainer, Let's came, make nice. the strainer came out of a sugar sifter. Exactly. You know, I mean, a cocktail shaking. Thank going, you, Mister Hawthorne. Necessity is the mother. Of invention. Exactly. You know, I mean, like, you work with what you have. And the thing about cocktails is, like, again, as Dave Wonders just pointed out, they're quick, they're fast, they're dirty. Yeah. America was a nation of drinkers, still a nation of drinkers. Right. And the idea was that you could whip this shit up anywhere. It wasn't yeah. like a punch service where you need some huge bowl, hours to prepare your oleosaccharum. You didn't need to, like, muddle Hell your no. lemon peels no, with no, your no. sugar cubes. And- the idea about cocktails was you could do them on the fly. Totally. Anywhere, under any circumstances. Totally. Give a good cocktail bartender or anyone who knows about this. I mean, it's it, you. we can MacGyver this shit up. <laughs> I like that. Definitely. So, like working in bars like the bars down in Raleigh, like, it's a fucking blast. Yeah. Like, you're just there and you're like, this is... Well, you know, another thing is, like, like on that subject of, like, being able to make cocktails in any situation, anywhere you are. That's the that's the true test of a, a good bartender, I think. Yep. You know, uh, and the fact that you guys—I mean, we already know that you, you and Brad Farron are both very good bartenders, some of the best in the industry. Like going down there and actually proving that theory, not just proving it, but like showcasing that theory, is a great service <laughs> for the entire industry and for these up and comers. That sure. Hell yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, like there's a lot of like young bartenders that if they don't have cold draft or if they don't have like Naraha shakers, they're, they're lost, you know? And you know, we just don't need it. And the thing is like, again, information I think should be free. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of proprietary bar information or proprietary recipes. I think that's not how drinks went on. Yeah. Uh, You know, the Manhattan and the Martini. Were, they were collaborative drinks that were created over the course of 20, 30 years. Like, you right. look at O.H. Byron's original, like, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Manhattans we work with today that sort of became the consensus Manhattan. Miles apart. And what happened was everyone just stole the recipe from one another and then worked it out. And then slowly through a process of natural selection, we ended up with these great cocktails. It's such an op- it's an opposing style of, like, what what... What happened back in the day? Sure. So you have like Jerry Thomas writing the nineteen or sorry the eighteen sixty two, Bon Vivant's Companion. People were trying to get that information out. You yeah, know? absolutely. So man. so badly, like it was like it, it they couldn't get it out fast enough. Sure, and that you know, and nowadays it's so secretive. It's like come well, on, man. And, and we learned this lesson already because the great 
secondary cocktail, well, the first great cocktail renaissance of the 20th century was the Tiki movement, mm-hmm. which unless, if Jeff Berry hadn't come around, like, we would not, there would be no Tiki revival just because we didn't have any goddamn recipes because everything was in code and in secret. Like, they were so secretive about everything that an entire series of decades of amazing drinks nearly died out. Yeah. If it weren't for the efforts of a handful of incredibly dedicated, like, researchers who were into that. With this, it's like, listen, we'll go work in any city, and I will always share what you need to know how to make a syrup, anything. Mm-hmm. Like, there are no secrets in the ideas. If we leave, like, here's a spec sheet. If this is good, here's the honey syrup. Here's how you whip it up. You can make this for your customers. Like, you're not going to do it all the time. Nine times out of ten, they're probably going to want a PBR and shot of Jim Beam, which is <laughs> A-OK because I That's love fine. a fucking boiler maker. But, um, yeah. Share and share alike. You know what, uh, Jack? Let's let's uh, attack on another 15 to this show. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, the amazing Nick Jarrett and I will be back in about a minute. And we're going to continue talking. Nick Jarrett, table 42, just got up and left. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye, table 42. Bye, table 42. Uh, stick around uh, in the future. Uh, Brad Farron and I will have a, a show coming up called Table 42. Bravo. is uh, for our listeners that uh, haven't been to Roberta's. It's the table that's right outside. It's a two-top table right outside of the window of the studio where we'll be commenting on people's dates. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. We'll have a little panel going, and Nick Jarrett will definitely be welcome to come and sit in and uh, join in on the commentary. Uh, you know, we, we've never done that as bartenders. Well, you know what? See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. <laughs> I don't see anything that goes on in any of my bars ever. Never. Oh, wait. I mean, uh, David Bowie and Brad Fellon? We're going to use some pen names for this. Oh, absolutely. I just date myself David Bowie. It yes. rhymes with Damon Bolte. I, and hey, but. man, you, know, you, you could go worse. You could go worse. <laughs> well, now I feel like a complete asshole. Um, so we got Nick Jarrett on the show, and we've been talking a lot about cocktails and multiple city bartending and, uh, yeah, just general revelry on the, uh, the entire industry. Nick, okay, let's go back a little bit. Sure. Um, 
I want to start talking about some cocktails now. Okay. I mean, we were we were definitely talking about like the classics and their interpretations, and uh, I remember like the first one of the first times I met you. You were you came to my bar at Prime Meats and Carroll Gardens totally, and uh, I met you through Frank Cisneros, who was bartending there at the time, right? Who is now at Dram? He just opened up his own bar with some, some other people. The drink, my roommate as well, yeah, and he's your roommate until. There was one of the first, one of the, two of the first cocktails that you introduced me to, which I've since taken and ran with. Um, one of them being the uh, the Revion. Oh yeah, delicious cocktail. Can you uh, uh, tell us what's in that one? Yeah, sure. That's one on Chuck Taggart's um, out of New Orleans. Uh, one of the early and super influential bloggers in the movement, and uh, that is a little bit of apple brandy, some pear eau de vie, mm-hmm. touch of allspice liqueur. Uh, a bit of aromatic bitters, whiskey barrels works fine, and then a little bit of uh, vermouth, either Carpano or Puni Mess, typically. And then you snap a, a cinnamon A little stick bit of cinnamon on top, yep. send it off. It's a beautiful, stirred... I mean, it is Thanksgiving. Yeah, absolutely. It's Thanksgiving in a glass. Totally. It's fucking delicious. The other one, <laughs> which is one that... Uh, and it, oh, oh, my God. I remember at the time, actually, a uh, uh, guest of the show, uh, Adam Colesar. Yeah, of, uh, Adam, was, Adam was with us. He was, he was there at, that night uh, when you turned us on to the, uh, the Red Trinidad... Red. Oh, the Trinidad Especial. Especial. Sure. Brilliant yeah. little cocktail. Which involves an entire... Like an ounce of Angostura bitters. You know, honestly, I bumped it up to an ounce and a half in the ones I serve now. <laughs> you would, of course, you totally would. What, what, what's really funny about that too is I, I, I kind of came up with a, a variation on that using an entire bottle of Underberg. Uh-huh. I think I'm probably the only person in existence that's done three different cocktails using an entire bottle of Underberg with each one of them. Hey, it comes pre-measured. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like yeah. you don't even need a jigger. Um, <laughs> so. The uh, well, uh, let's okay. Let's go back again on that. Like you, you bumped it up to an ounce and a half of Angostura oh, for our listeners. Sorry, the uh, yeah. the Trinidad Special is typically an ounce of Angostura, an ounce of Orgeat, which is uh, almond syrup, three quarters of an ounce of citrus. I mean, there are two competing recipes. The original is lime, lime. and then a little quarter ounce of pisco. And then one of the newer ones that's New York based is three quarter ounces of lemon, and then a quarter ounce of bonded rye. That's Giuseppe's recipe. That is Giuseppe's. It's called the Trinidad Sour. Trinidad Sour. And then the Trinidad Special. I always blank on the guy's name who came up with it, but it was an Angostura competition winner from, from in, the mid twentieth century, right? I believe so. I believe so in uh, Germany. I oh, think it's, I think it's a German cocktail. That's so weird. It's it's so weird that like all those different ingredients. Like pisco, a quarter ounce. Come on, it's, like, yeah, it's why? insane. It's insane, <laughs> and it works. But it totally works, and it's it's a really great way to drink an ounce of Angostura bitters or an ounce and a half. And in, in, if well, you ever get it from Nick Jarrett, it's certainly more economical than drinking like I don't know how many old fashions would that be. That oh, Jesus, seventy. Uh, it, 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 it would put a man down. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's what's funny about that drink when you turned us on to that? We uh, we were actually ex- we were like pretty much halfway through the Angostura bitters drought. Uh, where pe- right, of course. Do you remember that? Okay, I, so I like, do. so the Angostura bitters company had they had halted production uh, due to many rumored was, reasons. Yeah, there was a bottling like mess up. I think they switched right. bottle producers, and then there was a, they switched. I think importers into the U.S. Right. I mean, 
it was much exaggerated because the fact of the matter is Angostura is a beautiful product because you can walk into any grocery store in the country. Yeah. And any Safeway, any Gennardi's, whatever part of the country you're in, just go to your grocery store. Angostura Bitters is everywhere. Angostura Bitters was the first alcohol that I ever drank. Uh, my, well, it wasn't. I, I, I think I had some of my dad's uh, scotch from liquor cabinet before that, <laughs> and I know I had some of my uncle's beers long before that, but Angostura was the first liquor that I bought when I was not of age. I stole it. Uh, there, you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, I, I mean, I shoplifted it from my five local five finger discount. Yep, totally. I, I remember uh, I grew up in a very small town in Oklahoma, and I went to the the local grocery store with my my mom, and went to the beverage aisle. Sure, and it was like kind of essentially a dry county Bible yeah. Belt. Like there was no alcohol to be sold in a grocery store or a convenience store or anything. Right, but they did have. I, I was looking around. For some reason, I was like 10 years old or whatever, trying to find some alcohol. <laughs> Why not? Jesus Christ. It's 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 a wonder I got into this industry. Early starter, <laughs> I like it. But uh, I uh, I was looking around. I saw that little bottle with the, the terrible, like, like ill-fitting label. <laughs> and uh, I was looking around, and uh, I was like, oh, shit, this has a lot of alcohol in it. Uh, and I was a little hellion at the time so sure. i put it in my pocket got home went around the uh, tool shed took the cap off, that yellow cap off and i was like what the hell is this stupid thing that is keeping me from consuming yeah. this delicious this, alcohol this dasher top sure. which i had no idea what it was called at the time i believe it's uh, that's 20 years ago orifice reducer oh that's don lee oh, yeah. all the way that orifice reducer orifice reducer <laughs> but uh so i took out my uh my case it was either a case or a, a Swiss Army knife. Popped the top off. Immediately went to chugging it. That was my first shot of Angostura. And my last shot of Angostura was with you at the Manhattan Cocktail Classic. This is no, why... No, it's been that long? Yeah. Damon, what's going on here? It I... might have been It might have been last year at South by... Oh, you know what? Actually, it was. Last year. Okay, sorry. I was at a bar called Shangri-La. Or Shangri-La's. And, uh, oh, that's the same night that Bill Murray served me a shot of tequila. Awesome. He was with the Rizza and Jizza. They were in a, a parking lot across the street doing a show. Anyway, okay, we're trying to... I'd like to put it out right now that Bill Murray, the Rizza, and the Jizza are always welcome to guest bartender at any bar I work at. I'm going to put that out there as well. Yeah, anytime. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go above the executive level. Oh, no, say, no. Like, this is... The, like, they're, 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 I, I'm going to take the highest authority on this. Like, there, there isn't a question. <laughs> like, Dude, Bill Murray was like... I, I have pictures I'll show you later. He was... He jumped behind the bar at this place. It's kind of like a giant dive bar with a huge backyard. And he started taking orders from people. Awesome. And anything that anyone ordered, didn't matter what it was, a Lone Star, a, a sure. whiskey sour, whatever it was, shot of tequila is what they got. Bartender's choice, man. It's bartender's I mean, listen, choice. It's Bill Murray. You can order Bill whatever Murray, you want. Bill Murray is right. Yeah. I don't care if you don't like tequila. You might That's think, what you're getting. You might think you want something else, but you were probably mistaken and tequila was the right thing to drink that night because exactly bill motherfucking murray served bill motherfucking murray that is the best drink like that was the right drink for the evening <laughs> it was whatever bill murray was pouring i feel like we're gonna get trailed off a lot more I, and i know we will um we need to we need to start getting to the point where we wrap up a little bit unless sure, we sure. want to go for an hour show i don't know has that ever happened before it hasn't yet in the speakeasy history jack whoa what do you think? He says, whatever. Let's I don't do know. it. Let's go. Let's do it. We're doing it.
Yeah. All right. So okay. Um, the whole point of that 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 trailing off was the uh, the the shot of, of Angostura. Of Angostura. So at the Manhattan Cocktail Classic, not this last one, but the one before. Yeah, the preview. Right, the preview weekend. Sure. Uh, it was at the gala at the New York Public Library. Ah, uh, was I working the man? I was working the Mictors table. You were doing one. the Mictors yeah. table, and it's kind of like one of those things. It's a little bit more hardcore than the uh, the Fernet Bronca shot. The Fernet Bronca shot is it's been dubbed like kind of like uh, the bartenders, the, the bartenders yeah, handshake totally. or whatever. And you know, and it's true. It's very true, Without actually. Um, but then we go into. Well, the mean, shots of Angostura. Uh, which are lovely. And the best thing about shots of Angostura are, if you're at an event and you have a bottle of Angostura, and I, I, this is a tip, a gift from me to you. The best flask in the world is a bottle of Angostura okay. that you've emptied by taking pouring shots from it. And then fill that up with whatever you have on hand. Don't wash it out. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah well, Just take that bottle of Angostura that you just emptied pouring shots. I mean, hospitality for your friends. Fill that up with something and go on the go because the bottle of Angostura travels well. And you know what? Pink anything. Seasoned. Pink anything. Pink anything. It's totally. delicious. Yeah. You know what? Uh, pink rum. Oh, my God. Yeah. Pink whiskey. Pink gin. Pink anything. Pisco. For our listeners, can you tell yeah. them? I mean, well, I, mean I guess yeah. they've probably picked up what, what that is. Uh, but, uh, yeah. The pink gin is a classic. It's a very simple drink. It's gin in Angostura. Exactly. It's like gin and it. Yep. Gin and it. Which is short for Italian bitter or uh, Italian vermouth. One of those. And I think that was one of the ones that came about uh, in the British sort of empire period. I, I'm pretty sure that was one of the desert drinks. It was oh, obviously sure it was. You know, in the British Get your empire. Quinine. There were places where there was not ice available very well. And, uh, you know, so you had to sort of be creative on the fly. The gin and it was one, I think, North Africa, where they just mixed room temperature gin and room temperature Italian vermouth. It's delicious. Mm hmm. And then uh, the pink gin was another one. You just liberally coat a glass with Angostura, pour your gin in. It can be 95 degrees. It, it works. It works. Totally. You know what? Let's, uh, let's come back after a quick break. Uh, I want to thank my producer, Jack Inslee, for being so gracious to, Jack, uh, you're the man. <laughs> to uh, let us take so many breaks and run an hour. This is the first hour show, and I kind of assumed that this was going to happen with Nick Jarrett. Ah. Who we'll be talking to when we get back from this break. Cool, cool. Thanks so much. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> My guest today is Nick Jarrett. We've been talking about uh, <laughs> all kinds of things, actually. Uh, we were just talking about uh, having shots of tequila served by Bill Murray down in Austin, Texas. 
at South by Southwest last year. And uh, he brought up an interesting point that what whatever the bartender's serving at that point, whatever the bartender's choice is, that's the best thing you can it's be It's always the right choice. Trust your bartender. If you're in a dive bar, trust your bartender. If you're in a cocktail bar, trust your bartender. Yeah. I'm always going to trust Bill Murray. I, and yeah, I mean, like <laughs> Bill Murray, like under any circumstances, yeah. like what would Bill do? And you just said uh, on the when we were on the break, uh, it might have been like Montezuma or tortilla. Or you know, tortilla. it was probably made with fine imported tequilas and other <laughs> liqueurs. But yeah, but it, it probably tasted like Tobla, Monero, or Tobla. Oh yeah, like mezcal. It, it tasted like like the true nectar. I mean, especially because by that point, I presume it was fairly late in the evening and everyone had had, you know. It was pretty late. Yeah. It was pretty late. And, you know, it's, it's South by Southwest, so people have been going all day. Um, Nick, I want to... We have about 10 minutes left on sure. this show. Um, I want to talk more about uh, some of the stuff that's coming up. I, w- I actually want to go back to the uh, the green bar that you're doing. Yeah, Brian. yeah, absolutely. So can you give our listeners a little bit more information on on this? Well, all right. I'll give you the quick rundown. Basically, for years, I've been fascinated by the history of the El Dorado Bar in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Now, the El Dorado, when you had the gold rush, yeah, uh, it, was a tent, it was basically yep. a tent bar. Uh, the population in California, parts of Nevada, just blew up. You had these boom towns rise overnight. Carson City, Carson I mean, City, yeah, I mean, at, totally. Uh, and there are uh, Culver City too, I think. Culver and a few City, others totally. Would just blow up like you'd have nothing there, and then. A month later, there'd be a metropolis with 150,000 people, 200,000 people. And entrepreneurial bartenders moved in because, I mean, these you go to these towns, you set up a bar, people aren't paying you with cash. They're paying with you with nuggets of gold. Gold. That's And that's probably, I mean, like, it's assumed that that's how Jerry Thomas got his cash got, to kick off in New York. Totally. Well, that, but also that's assumed how he got all of his uh, his for our listeners that aren't necessarily familiar with Jerry Thomas, he was, uh, again, he was the, uh, the author of the first cocktail sure. book, but he was also rumored to travel around with about $1,800 worth of, uh, gold Diamonds, bar I mean, tools, gold bar tools, diamond cluster sticks. Like you would go to very San Francisco, <laughs> yeah. like during the gold rush. And I mean, you could set up a business and then within days you have these people who are illiterate, uh, some of whom are ill-educated, others of whom are very intelligent, but they are paying you for things with ounces of gold. Just chunks, just like... Like deflation. Just balling like, out yeah, I mean, before it, <laughs> the it, term was even It invented. didn't even matter. It's like, listen, here's... Just take this. Here's an ounce. You'd have scales in bars, and El Dorado was supposed to be one of the fanciest temp bars. I mean, all-women orchestra. Mm-hmm. Orchestra pit. Like, chandeliers hung up from the tents, like grand pianos. Right. Burned down a number of times, I believe. Oh, the, 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 the entire <laughs> towns would burn down. Every couple of months. But it didn't matter because it was all plywood and canvas anyway. I mean, not plywood, but, you know, just wood. Yeah. So I was talking to Brad about this idea, and I've been like, I want to open a tent bar in a boom town. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, I want to see what that's like. And I'm like, you know, you know, Burning Man. And we just look at each other. And I'm like, all right, we are going to open a tent bar in Burning Man. Excellent. And we're going to serve cocktails. We're going to go into the desert where there's no one. And then overnight, there's going to be, I mean, how big is it now? It's It's... It's thirty five. Yeah, I mean, it's forty thousand people. I think it's even more than that at this point. Really? Yeah, it's it's Jesus. it's getting huge. So just overnight, like tens of thousands of people are there, and you know they're thirsty. Yeah. Well. And as a bartender, I don't. I I, I hate to think of people being thirsty. <laughs> like I. Th- That's very kind of you, Nick I know. Garrett. So we're opening this up, and we just got a grant for some money from uh, Tales of the Cocktail. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because in Burning Man, of course, you have to, it's leave no trace. It's zero impact. You're out right. in the middle of the playa and, you know, you're trying not to fuck the environment up. It's a beautiful desert. So uh, we're, we're building out a flat pack sort of portable green bar. And, uh, yeah, in the spirit of the Eldorado, moving into a boom town, running it through. And this is what we're traveling around the country raising money for. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's a really cool idea. And it's, it's time for that kind of thing to happen. Absolutely. Too. I mean, as far as, like, the evolution, the education, and the, the process of bringing something like that to... Well, I'm sure you've seen uh, the new reprint of The Flowing Bowl. Oh, it's painting. my new favorite. Like I mean, by by William Schmidt, the well, the only William. Yeah, Billy, the only Billy. Um, it's it's one of my. Uh, it's I a blast. Thought, I mean, I always hey, thought that hey. Charles H. Baker's uh, Gentleman's Companion or like. I mean, the Gentleman's Companion will always have a special place in my right. heart because, especially the South American. Charles Baker was a writer. Yeah, but, um, but, but William Bo- or sorry, uh, William uh, Schmidt's book, The Flowing Bowl. Sure, it's sorry, it's uh, it's my. Probably my new favorite comic. Oh, I mean, book. the man was brilliant, and uh, there was actually uh, well, the moral of the story was that in, at the beginning of the introduction, uh, which Dave Wondrich wrote, mm-hmm. uh, he's a like, beautiful. You know, uh, he he talks about before it was uh, the cocktail movement. Uh, you know, used to ten years ago consist of wouldn't it be nice? Like, yeah. wouldn't it be nice if I could go somewhere and get a good Jack Rose? Wouldn't it be nice if the bartender knew how to bitter and stir my Manhattan? And Jack, drops, we're, we're going to have to use Wouldn't It Be Nice by the Beach Boys as our, our oh, outro song. Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he says that now, 10 years in, it's changed from Wouldn't It Be Nice to, and I love it, uh, in italics, yay even unto Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> now the bar cry of this, like, we're, everyone has been taking cocktails everywhere, out into the goddamn desert. Like, there are whole swaths of the population that have never had a decent cocktail. Oh, yeah. Never. I mean, like... I, I presume for our listeners, like, think of how many people there are there who have never had a good old fashioned, never had a decent whiskey sour. Exactly. I mean, it's mind boggling just because it, uh, these people are to drinkers. us, to us. But I mean, not, not even people. Like, what proportion of drinkers? Yeah, have never had a good cocktail. And this is a drinking country, and it's a drinking world. It's a drinking world. I mean, alcohol's I mean, been around from, uh, you know... And it's actually the foundation for... Sorry. It's the foundation for the United States. It's well, the foundation William for Faulkner, a lot of... I believe Dude. civilization begins with distillation. Well, that, but I mean, like, also, like, the taxing of Absolutely. alcohol. Absolutely. That was the first tax to go into effect. Sure. Whiskey Rebellion. I mean... Whiskey uh, Rebellion. Uh, the whole federal government had to change. Uh, what yeah. was it? Articles of Confederation switching to, uh, you know, the Constitution. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, so, where were we? Um, <laughs> where were we? Yay, even, even unto <laughs> Burning know. Man. Like, <laughs> even unto Burning Man. Nice. Um, what are some of your ideas as far as, like, the design, uh, as far as the initiation? What are, like, some of your... I mean, you were talking about a gray water system. Sure, sure. I mean, uh, we're going to have to be obviously very uh, conservative water because right. you're in the middle of a desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so we typically are, at those events, you're required to bring like ten gallons. Absolutely. You know, for for each person. Well, but we're operating a bar, so we're going to need substantially more than ten gallons. Right. And uh, whatever reclamation, like and purification, we can do, 
we discussed a couple of ideas, and we just met up with John Yu, who's going to be handling some of our design and groundwork on this down in Raleigh uh, the past couple of days. Cool. But, like, yeah, re- water reclamation projects, um, composting, organic produce, some interesting stuff with Sterling engines and Dean Cayman's, like, water purification systems that run off of gases from decomposing vegetable matter. Cool. Um, there's, there's a ton of stuff we can work with. And we're working that in to just build a rugged bar. And basically, this will be bartending under fire. I cannot imagine a more difficult set of environmental circumstances to coming up with cocktails than doing it in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the summer, surrounded by throngs of people. And, um, and none, of, none of whom sandstorms are... Sandstorms, too. <laughs> sandstorms, dust everywhere. Like, I mean, no electricity unless we bring a generator. And we're thinking we might not run with electricity. You know we're what? We might set up ice boxes. You, you know, know what? Do Don't. Old style. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> so it's it's also it's the you know a it would be awesome to work in a tent bar and build out an Eldorado style tent bar and b like we're bartenders we love challenges we're exactly. badasses exactly we fuck shit up you're a five bottle badass five bottle badass so I think this is the most cursing we've done on the show to date oh, well. <laughs> Jack's give me uh, a, a quick nod yeah excellent excellent well I I, 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 I appreciate that. We're, we're, again, bartenders, so... You know, exactly. We, we have to be a little salty. Absolutely. People like salt. <laughs> well, and you're going to like a lot of it when you're in the desert. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, there, there will be a good deal of it in the desert. Now, okay, before we uh, sign off, you brought something along with you. I did, That you I wanted did. to try out. Shit, well, this is uh, delicious stuff, if we can uh, get it open. I brought along a little bit of Amontillado, because, you know, cherry is always the right choice. That's true. This is a little Del Duque 30-year. 30 year. Nice. Uh, it's it's a little extra aged. Well, uh, unfortunately, we don't have any glassware in the studio. We didn't think of. <laughs> of course, That's... we have glassware. Oh, wait. Yeah. Okay. Pouring it into the glass. <laughs> oh, yeah. Take a little pull of that. Can you tell us a little bit more about like the, the producer here? And... It's Gonzalez Bias, a uh, beautiful sherry house. Uh, they do a series of sort of extra old bodega reserves and the, the del duque is really one of my all-time favorite oh my wines God. like wine that is one of, that that might be my favorite wine yeah it's got that uh it's got such high acidity to it it has the raisinated quality yeah. but it's it's like it's super like light and acidic well it reminds me of mezcal because mezcal does that whole acidity thing too exactly. and this is uh you know 30 exactly. years in jerez awesome can you uh I just want to touch real quick before we sign off, too. Nick Jarrett has some of the best bartender tattoos I've seen in quite some time. <laughs> well, thank you very much, man. I mean, you- uh, one of my favorites that I'm, I'm intensely jealous of is uh, the sword pick with the cherry. Uh, the sword pick with the cherry is a great one. Now, that was all Tanya Guffey's idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tanya, good friend of mine, works mm-hmm. over at Flatiron and Lonnie Kai as well as at uh, Dram. We share a number of bar tattoos, but the sword pick with the cherry was for the uh, the survivors of my last night in Philadelphia. Yeah. And for my last night in Philadelphia at the Franklin, what I did was, you know, it was basically a 10-year anniversary of being in Philadelphia. It was the last day I was going to be working in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. My last day at the Franklin, which was a baller bar, and pretty much about 10 years of dispensing drinks in one form or another. So I just brought down a crew of rock star bartenders. Awesome. We had about 12 people down. Um, Threw them all behind the bar at the Franklin. Had an insane, insane night. I remember pieces of it. And uh, <laughs> what happened was for the last standing, uh, there were tattoos the next morning. So that is the uh, the sword pick with a cherry through it. It's perfect, man. Um, one more thing I want to talk about 
uh, before we sign off, you were going to be working tonight at uh, at Flatiron, Flatiron Lounge. Lounge. Yeah. So for and our listeners, if anyone's uh, willing to have one of the greatest cocktails of their entire life, you <laughs> yeah. might want to go out to Flatiron Lounge at tonight. One of the greatest bars of all time. I mean, great what bar. what a privilege to work there. Absolutely, say, like, Julie Flatiron, Reiner is a great, oh, yeah. great lady. And Flatiron going on eight years now. Yeah. Like one the the. Aside from milk and honey, um, I mean, it was really sort of the second, like, major... It was the second real cocktail yeah, bar to open up. Absolutely. And uh, no door policy. Like, that place does crazy volume, and the drinks are baller. Every, I mean, hell, everyone worked there. Half of the bartenders in New York started off as bar yeah, acts. totally, totally. You know, next week on the show, we're going to have... I mean, we. This is the first hour show we've done. I just, yeah. I mean, which we, is amazing. I am, I'm very excited about that. Um we're going to have Nick Jarrett back on the show with the cabinet of the USBG New York. That's the United States Bartenders Guild. One of my other uh, positions in life. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, we're going to we're going to do some chatting about the uh, the guild. We'll a talk little about solidarity, it. some healthcare, like state of the industry. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Great great services they're doing for for all the industry. And uh, that'll be very interesting. We'll have Jason Luttrell on, you know. We'll 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 do it upright. Uh, if we run an hour again, I'm going to have to talk to Jack. Uh, About I, I, some scheduling, I mean, seriously. Yeah, he, he's probably going <laughs> to... He might He might kill you. He might kill he me. He might kill you. Um, you know, for every drink that comes back here, there's uh, an easy 15 minutes coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. See? All right. Ah, thanks, Jack. Where, a, okay. Two firsts. One, the hour show. Two, Jack chiming in. Hell yes. There, there we go. There we go. Nice. Next time he's he's going to have to come in and uh, sit in with us. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So uh, yeah, so thanks a lot, Nick Jarrett. Um, David, absolutely, my pleasure, man. It's been a blast. Been, it's been mine, my my pleasure all, all along. Um, thanks for uh, sharing your knowledge. We would love to have you back sometime. It, besides the uh, the next week show with uh, the USBG, and I'm sure uh, when we do the uh, Table Forty Two show that you'll. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely won't be here. I will not be here. None of us will. None of us but will. But someone will be here. Someone will be like here. Like four of us will probably they will be here. Be... Can, we, <laughs> can we get this one-way mirror? I think we'll, we'll have to ask Jack about it, but, yeah. I, but I, I'm pretty sure we can work something out. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so go out and see Nick Jarrett tonight. At, yeah, come visit. At uh, Flatiron Lounge. And uh, tune in next week for the Speakeasy. I've been your host, Dave Mavalti. Jack producer my Jack Insley is my producer. And uh, happy Texas Independence Day, y'all. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Foods USA. 
In late March, Dan, Andrea, Patrick, and the Heritage team are traveling to the coldest reaches of the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont to help the Cantor family tap sugar maple trees. Then the maple sap will flow down to the sugar house where it is boiled gently over a wood fire just as it has been for generations. Just a few days later, this grade A amber syrup will be poured into the beautiful glass jugs and sent to you for pancakes, waffles, desserts, glazing hams, or just drinking by the spoonful. There's only a limited supply, so order today. Each one-liter bottle is $45, including delivery. Delivery will be at the end of March, and we will notify you of the exact shipping date. Each shipment will include a CD explaining the whole process. You can also follow us on YouTube while we work and bottle. In the meantime, you can head over to the Heritage Radio Network archives and listen to Linda Palaccio talk about maple syrup on her show, A Taste of the Past, Episode 12. For more information, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Join wine impresarios Aaron Fitzpatrick and Brian DeMarco as they dish out on the latest industry news with winemakers and tastemakers on Heritage Radio Network's revamped wine show, Unfiltered. Erin Fitzpatrick, one of the first hosts on HRN with her program at the root of it, amps up the volume and unfiltered content with co-host Brian DeMarco in this 2011 Redux. True to the original format, Erin and Brian will keep you abreast of current happenings and break down the news and global events, distilling complex into anecdotal stories that inspire. From media and political events to hailstorms in Argentina, no topic is out of bounds. Tune in every week to hear them chat up the industry's biggest personalities and host on-air tastings with visiting vintners and the country's hottest sommeliers. Whether you're an expert or an enthusiast, Unfiltered demystifies wine and lets you know what it really takes to get a bottle from the vineyard to your neighborhood wine shop. Unfiltered broadcasts live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network. The following is a public service announcement from the Museum of Food and Drink. Dave Arnold and Patrick Martins have gathered a team of New York's most innovative chefs and bartenders to create a nine-course fundraiser lunch at Del Posto, Sunday, March 27th. Their intent? To kickstart the greatest food museum in the world. The menu for this unprecedented event is derived from educational themes of the museum. Chefs will draw inspiration from sources outside their normal sphere. How will a cutting-edge chef handle the Paleolithic, or a dish only using pre-Columbian ingredients? What will a modern Italian chef do with ancient Rome? The chefs include David Chang of Omofuku, Wiley Dufresne of WD50, Mark Ladner of Del Posto, Nils Noren of the French Culinary Institute, Cesare Casella of Salumeria Rossi, Carlo Maracci of Roberta's, Brooks Headley of Del Posto, and Christina Tozzi of Momofuku Milk Bar. Bartenders include Audrey Sanders of Pegu Club, Thomas Waugh of Death & Company, Simon Ford of Pernod Ricard, Damon Boltley of Prime Meats, and Eben Clem of BR Guest Restaurants. Proceeds from the event will directly support the Museum of Food and Drink. Tickets are very limited and $250 per person. To purchase tickets, please visit mofad.eventbrite.com. That's M-O-F-A-D dot eventbrite.com. Once again, M-O-F-A-D dot E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com. Sponsored by Pernod Ricard, Heritage Foods USA, Pat LaFrieda Meats, Barterhouse Wines, Del Posto Restaurant.